If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com 1212 This is our number 2 of the World According to Zig podcast for this April 30th 2017 this is the Weekly show where it's really one of the very few places you can get the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from the conservative perspective in this crazy upside-down world in which we now live. My name is John Ziegler. I am the host of the show. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. And if you're a fan of the show, you probably are already aware that over the last uh, several months, probably even before that, because of the crazy 2016 uh, election, I have kind of gotten a relationship with the guys over at the Blaze and and specifically uh, Glenn Beck. You, I've played this clip uh, quite often. Uh John Ziegler. I I think he's fantastic. What a what a interesting mind he has. They'll be playing that one at my funeral. Uh <laughs> if my wife if my wife allows it. But uh the reality is that Glenn Beck and the Blaze are one of the very few major if not only conservative outlets who have stuck to principle throughout this insanity that has been trumpism over the last almost 2 years now and uh, one of those that I've gotten to know at the blaze is a guy by the name of Stu Greguer who is one of uh, Glenn's co-hosts he's a head writer producer he also hosts his own show on the blaze network the Pat and Stu show and uh, I asked him to come on the podcast and he was willing to do so so I'm really excited about that and he is our hour number 2 guest for this week so Stu welcome to the world according to zig John how are you man I'm all right good to talk to you uh, now there's a lot of things about uh, you that that fascinate me and I want to get into because I think they're important for people to understand this uh, very strange media environment in which we now live but but first I w- I want to give you are a chance to give us some background on on your career how you got hooked up with Glenn and the Blaze and and how you got to where you are right now uh, so uh, well you know it started um way too long ago for me to want to admit late 90s i guess uh and uh, i uh, you know wanted to get into radio always wanted to do it from you know time i was a kid you know we would uh, you know uh, broadcast you know broadcast play by play of nba games into cassette recorders and all the kind of stereotypical uh things that radio geeks do. Um and uh as I kind of grew up, I I wound up happening to live uh in the town of a complete failure of a morning show host uh by the name of Glenn Beck who was <laughs> on the uh, uh the downslope of his career as he would be uh happy to admit at that point. 
Um, and he's in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, and he's, you know, this guy, I used to listen to Glenn and Pat on the radio when I was a kid, you know, in middle school. Um, and they would, uh, they did a show in New Haven. And at that point, Pat had moved on and his career was, uh, much, uh, much more, had much more of a bright future at that point than Glenn did. Um, and, uh, so I went and just, you know, started interning at the station and, and over a long kind of period of time, I, I was always kind of interested in talk radio. Started with sports and, um, you know, uh, listened to a lot of it down when I lived in Florida. And I wanted to go into talk, and, and I, I wound up doing an appearance with Glenn at some point where my big, you know, experience and responsibility was hanging balloons and banners at a car dealership. Uh, and uh, Glenn had said, you know, he was sick of playing Britney Spears records, sick of, uh, you know, uh, just, you know, doing you know, stuff that, you know, it might have been funny, but really didn't have much consequence. Um, and, and I, you know, he was talking to me, and here I am, a 20, 21-year-old kid, and, you know, was interested in talk radio, which is pretty rare, especially when you talk about conservative talk radio. So uh, we just kind of, like, he had said he wanted to go that way, and, and we started talking about it, and we just, you know, he needed somebody who would work for free, and there I was. <laughs> Working for free always it seems to work pretty well, uh, although maybe not maybe not in the long run. Um, yeah. and that, now, how did you, with regard to Glenn? You know, and I've, I've been very uh, honest as Glenn is about his own background. That mm-hmm. um, you know, partially because I was a talk show host in Louisville, which was one of Glenn's stops uh, along the way as a DJ. Yeah. Uh, I was very cynical towards Glenn throughout. The first portion, I would say, the the pre-Trump portion uh, of his yeah. career, because I was I was someone who, having been in the business for a long time, I always presumed anybody who gave any sign at all of being an actor uh, was an actor, because a lot of people, as you I'm sure well know now, uh, as, uh, in this business, are in fact actors and are not yeah. really doing this sincerely. By the way, would you agree with that? Would you agree with that last <laughs> statement? Yes, I would definitely agree with that. Uh, gener- generally speaking, I, it's hard to deny at this point. Right. It's hard to deny post-Trump. And so because of what I had heard about Glenn and the whole DJ thing, and, and because Glenn is a tremendous performer, I've always said that, uh, you mm-hmm. know, he's very, very good at what he does. My instincts always told me, okay, there's got to be something that's not sincere here because nobody can be this good of an actor in a, in a realm and in an industry where everybody's a fraud and not be a fraud. When, did you always know that Glenn was for real? Um, you know, it's, that's a, it's, I, I, it's interesting because, you know, I listen to the podcast whenever I can, and I've heard you say stuff like that before, that you were kind of like skeptical of Glenn, and I think a lot of people were. Uh, and, you know, certainly there are plenty of people left in that boat. You know, with me, I kind of came up with him as he was really my first, um, the, the first guy in radio that I was really learned things from and was really close to. Um, so I really knew I, I, I followed his, his his train kind of uh, closely in that, you know, he started out as a guy who was just really curious, um, and you know, a guy who didn't know everything. And and you know he was he you know he's an intelligent guy, but I don't, he at that point he would tell you he didn't know half the stuff that he does now. Um, and one of the things I always liked about him, and 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 this goes back all the way from the beginning, was the I think the ability to uh, to kind of push aside his ego a little bit and say I don't know what I'm talking about, or I changed my mind on that topic. Um, 
I what I said a week ago, I actually think is wrong now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, you, you know, you know, listen to the talk radio over the years. That's the exact opposite of what you're supposed to do. Right. Like you are never supposed to admit that you made a mistake. Never supposed to admit that you didn't have the answer your entire life. And so I, you know, coming up with him through that, I saw him go through, you know, lots of different things. Um, you know, changing his opinion on on major topics not because he thought it was the right thing to do, many times against the audience. Um, and so I, I never, you know, I, I certainly understood a lot of people who thought, hey, this guy, you know, isn't real. I think he is a, he's an emotional guy. He went through, a, you know, certainly a, a, a public, large public bout with crying on the air for a while. Um, <laughs> and so people love that. Um, so, I mean, I, I really do understand why people thought that. But being close to him, I, I never really got, you know, Never, I never got a hint of that. He was a one of the things that I think he did really well that no one else, uh, at least at that time, was really attempting, was sort of to bring the same sort of sensibilities from entertainment radio into the talk radio sphere, um, where you know it wasn't like you know, at that time when we started. You know, most people were just on the air saying they wanted to you know talk about taxes and go on about you know actuary tables and and it was really boring for a lot of hosts. And Glenn, I think, brought a, a level of entertainment. So I think what you picked up is, you know, he's, he is a good entertainer, but we tried to fuse those things, tried to bring the topics that you're supposed to care about, or at least we think you should care about, into some sort of uh, entertaining package. Um, so there is a bit of a theater. It, there is a bit of theater in there. But overall, you know, I never got the sense uh, by any means that he was, he was an actor. It was... It was a performance on top of what he believed, right? Like he's, right. he's saying things that are interesting and trying to do it in a way that people will actually tune in. And that's a great way to put it. And Stu, that's a great way to put it because I, I'm hardly, uh, you know, someone who believes that, well, you've just got to do straight journalism or, or you can't yeah. be entertaining. They're, they're, it's all about where you draw the line. And, mm-hmm. and I, my, where I put the line is right where you just described it. You, you know, you have to be sincere about what it is you really believe. But if you can do it in as entertaining a way as, as possible that's still credible, then that's great because that's going to keep hold and potentially grow the audience. So th- that's mm-hmm. where I am. I know you're a sports guy, and I'm wondering what you make of the analogy that I always use in this realm. You know, sports was always a business. It was always a little bit of a business, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. what the owners wanted to do was to make Money now. Some of them wanted to win championships too, but by and large, professional sports was always a business. When we were younger, I'm a little bit older than you, but not that much older. When we were younger, I don't know what the percentages was, but percentages were. But my guess is that when I was growing up, professional sports was still majority sport, minority business. Now, in my view, it's almost entirely business uh, and very little sport. Using that analogy to talk radio, I think the percentages have gone in the same direction, where, where now it's all business. It's all about what's going to get ratings and make profit and, and keep me in my cushy gig or keep me as a celebrity or, or make my house payments. And I'm wondering, what, mm-hmm. you, what, do, you, what do you make of that a- analogy? You th- do you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I have to say yes. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, it, it's the same thing with sports. I agree there too. I mean, it, it does feel that way, and I, you know, I don't know. I, I kind of, I, and this is a way I guess we may have misjudged 
the audience or what we were doing over all these years in some way. And then I kind of feel, felt like we were all sort of in the same boat. Like we were all sort of in the same boat where we all really believed and wanted, uh, you know, to have constitutional small government solutions to the problems that we face. And we all were there. And there was different ways of approaching it, right? Like you have libertarians who right. won't give an inch on anything, right? Where right. you have, you know, a hardcore conservative who will, you know, maybe, you know, negotiate a little bit here and there, but really wants what they want in principle. And then you have more of a, an establishment figure who might be willing, you know, to bend towards the pragmatic um, solution, which, you know, is frustrating to someone on the other side. So there's always that sort of, like, give and take from a policy standpoint. Um, and I guess... I think what you're talking about here is that when we weren't really in the same boat, right? Like that wasn't the goal of so many people. Um, and, you know, it's a temptation that's understandable and it's difficult as you've seen, and as we've seen to take a stance that's uh, adversarial sometimes to what your audience wants. Um, but I mean, man, you, you know, I got into this business because that's what I loved. You know, I love the idea of, I think I believe something, and the host gets on the air, and they say something else. And you have this relationship with the host, and they've, you've spent so much time with them, and they've been so reasonable about so many things. So don't you want to be challenged? Don't you want to be put in a position where the host has a, a differing opinion, and you go back and forth, and the callers challenge them, and there's some sort of tension and give and take there. It's like I, I, so many people seem to now enjoy just you know, what they believe to be echoed um, and furthered at almost at any cost, whether it's even remotely close to the truth or not. And, you know, that's not why I got into this business. Uh, you know, I, I really do enjoy it, um, and I like doing, you know, uh, talk radio, and I love talking about these issues. And, you know, but, I mean, there is something more than just a gig, right? I mean, you can, you can you know, go on radio and play music and, make money in, in, in the media for, you know, I don't know, maybe six more months or so until that dries up. <laughs> uh, but it was a state of radio today. Uh, but, you know, that, that's, what, that's not why we're in it, right? Like, you get in it because you want to, you want to be challenged. I mean, I can remember doing the show uh, in Tampa before even we were syndicated. And, like, the hardest thing to do uh, was to get something by your audience where you were being inconsistent. If you were inconsistent... Right, man. These people would hold your feet to the fire. They would be all over you. You said six months ago something that kind of disagreed with what you just said, and it was such a great way to be able to explore, you know, what you believed and and to hold to make yourself consistent. It was something we respected from the audience because it was made us better hosts, right? Uh, you know, now it's it, you know, you it doesn't seem to happen at all. I don't, you know, it doesn't seem to be something that it, Stu, the audience it, even wants. Stu, it sounds like you think that this has always been the case and we just misjudge it. We meaning, you know, people like you and me uh, in the in the talk radio, conservative talk radio business. I'm not 100% sure I know what happened, but I think I'm more in the boat of things really did change. And part of what changed was the technology, a couple things happened. Fragmation, fragmentation changed the business model, and technology, technology changed the way we were able to figure out what was popular and what wasn't. See, talk radio, as you well know, 
the way the ratings were done, we never had any idea what what right. particular show or even a week of shows did <laughs> did well in the ratings or poorly in the ratings, which was fantastic because we never had the there was never any accountability. There was accountability in the global sense, but for every particular show, you didn't feel like someone was standing over your shoulder going, well, boy, that topic stunk, or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I got to talk more about that because the audience really loved it. Now, with Facebook and Twitter and everything's likes and retweets and shares, and on the internet, you can tell instantly which po- uh, stories pop and which don't, which are popular, which are not popular. And now the ratings even have changed to the point where you can tell, not to mention from a political standpoint, I think that eight years of Obama basically turned a lot of the conservative base insane uh, b- because they wanted to, they wanted to fight back. So I'm, I'm curious, what do you make of my theory that there were some circumstances that have changed over the last, say, 10 years that may have altered the reality more than us having lived in a delusional reality for all those years prior? Mm, man, that's, it's, I mean, my first gig in radio, we started with ratings, every, one book every six months. Right. Three of the, so we'd go three months with no ratings at all, and then, and then we'd do another three months that would be rated after that. So only twice a year, because we were a small market, did we even get ratings. And it was so generalized and so impossible to be able to to figure that out. And then we got on some other, we went to a a bigger market, and it was every three months we got ratings. And then it was syndication, and then it was, you know, every three months we'd get 100 different stations of ratings. But still, it wasn't until we went to CNN where it was every night we got ratings. And, you know, you think about that now, it's antiquated. To get ratings once once a day, right. you can get ratings every second right. uh, of your broadcast now. So I think you're right in that it really it has changed. I like your answer better, by the way. Um, it's to me more encouraging um, because maybe there's a hint of you know a situation where this is new. These are new things. We're kind of going through all of this together, maybe as a society, and and trying to figure out how to react to instant gratification, instant ratings, instant, um, you know, feedback like that. And, and maybe, you know, we'll get a handle on it uh, at some point. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, uh, part, you know, going back to, I know you were, you were mentioning Trump a little bit there, and it's like, part of me wonders, is, is Trump just this one-time thing? You know, is he just this guy who was in this weird situation where he was kind of a celebrity and he came wrong, along right at the right time and, and he, you know, was able to get away with a heck of a lot more than, than the next presidential candidate who runs with a similar background. I don't know. I, you know, it's still my, I, it's still my hope. Um, but I think these things really have changed the world. And, you know, I, I hope you're right, because I hate to think that, you know, talk radio has existed in this world in which, you know, the hosts were reflecting what the audience wants. Because, you know, that is... The, it's always been about independence. To me, it was always a thing that was rewarded in talk radio when you took a stance that was opposite of what everyone else was doing. It's one of the things that I love listening to you when you know you talk about Sandusky or you talk about, uh, you know, <laughs> I, Sonny, the other, a couple weeks ago when the whole United flight uh, thing right. happened. Right. I, I was thinking to myself, you know, I don't know. The way this is working, this just seems weird. There's something about this. Right. You know who will, who, will, who will be thinking about this the same way as Ziegler. <laughs> and so, of course, <laughs> I go to your, I, and you've got a column, a great column about 
wait a minute, this isn't what you think it is. Right. And, but, I mean, that's what I've always wanted from a host, right? Like, it's something you reward as a listener that someone who's willing to say, look, you know, it's like a family member, you know, a talk show host. We, we used to talk about this when we launched the show back in the day of, like, it's, it's really like Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're going to talk about not just politics. You're going to talk about all the things in your life. You're going to mm-hmm. talk about sports. You're going to talk about relationships and, uh, and everything. Um, but you have a relationship with someone in your family when they say something that's crazy or they say something that you don't agree with. You're going to give them time to explain themselves. You respect them as a person. So you're going to take into their, their thought process into account. You're going to be interested in how they got there. That's the relationship I always have believed has existed between sort of host and audience. And lately, like, it just doesn't feel like that relationship is there. And, right. and you know, I don't know, maybe, you're, you know, if you're right, and, and I think you might be, that it's just, you know, a big change in the way that we kind of ha- are dealing with things through social media and everything else. Maybe that is something that's curable. Maybe there's a, a shred of optimism. I hate to bring optimism to this podcast. Wow. But maybe there's a shred Jeez. of optimism, optimism there. Now, that, that is, you've made history right there, Stu. The first person <laughs> ever has taken something I've said and gone, that's the optimistic view. Uh, um, let, let, since we've already, we're kind of dancing around the, the, the Trump issue here, so let's deal with it more directly. All right, so because sure. I'm fascinated by, by this with regard to you guys at The Blaze and obviously uh, Glenn Beck and, and his radio show where you, you're a writer and producer and co-host. Uh, he, the Blaze, obviously, and Glenn in particular, has been very different than any other conservative major media outlet with regard to Donald Trump from the very beginning and has maintained itself pretty much to this day. What is your analysis of why and how that happened? Uh, well, I mean, you know, we were on record for a long time, you know, he, you know, of course, Donald Trump threatened to run for president every three days. Um, and I remember back in, you know, 2011, he was talking about being a candidate and, you know, we went back and looked at it, the guy's record, right? I mean, and you look at it and you see a guy who is not in any way conservative. Um, there was never really a conservative, uh, strain from him. Um, and, he was a guy that, you know, you know, even, you know, famously Andrew Breitbart said was not conservative. Um, I think everyone agreed he was not conservative. And, um, you know, we looked at that and that was what we were judging it on. Uh, we, we, you know, we said, hey, wait, this is not, you know, not at all the type of person here that we want. We just had eight years of Barack Obama. Why do we want a guy who's going to further many of those policies? And, and some, I mean, you know, there's plenty of stuff from Trump's past that was to the left of even Bernie Sanders. Right. Um, so, you know, that I just don't believe those are the solutions, you know, and there's, there's plenty, you know, to, to, you know, to go on policy wise there. But, um, but still, but why, the, but why and how did the blaze not get on the bandwagon once it was clear that the train had the mixed metaphors had left the building? You're saying like past the primary. Yeah. I mean, um, at, I mean, at a certain point, I mean, and, and take me through that. Was there ever a moment when you guys and Glenn sat down and said, okay, this is it. We have to make a decision whether or not we're getting on board here or we're going to stay uh, true to our principles. Did that, was there ever a moment that, that you, that would qualify un, under that description, Stu? I mean, I, I, I don't know that uh, there was ever a moment. Certainly there was never a moment in which I think we ever thought to ourselves, hey, like we need to start backing this guy. Um, you know, I think we got to a point where we said, look, you know, 
our belief is um, if what we are saying about Trump and what we believe uh, you know, his presidency would be like is true, over a long period of time, hopefully you get rewarded for that. Right. If if things, <laughs> you know, if he does turn up. Good luck with that, Stu. Good luck. <laughs> I, I forgot what podcast I was on again, right. didn't I? Right. Um, uh, uh, you know, look, I don't know. You might be right. It may never happen. But I mean, at, at the very least, it's a trick to make yourself uh, stick with your principles. Um, you know, maybe I'm tricking myself myself and believing that. I think there's a lot of evidence to say that I am, um, that, that it's completely a, a BS opinion at this point. Um, you know, but I mean, if he comes out and he passes a lot of liberal things and he does a lot of the stuff that I'm worried about, well, then there will be, uh, you know, hopefully people remember that we, we took that stand. Who knows if they will or not? Well, um, I'm skeptical but, that anyone will remember because, it, you know, in fact, in fact, Stu, this is Mr. Uh, uh, optimism again. Uh, I, I'm convinced <laughs> that people like us will get blamed. I I I mean that seriously. That that we're that we're more likely to get blamed when it turns out we're right than to to be given credit because people will say, well, if you guys had been better at convincing us, or if you hadn't been such jerks about it, or if you hadn't been so arrogant, <laughs> then we might have believed you, and it's your damn fault that you didn't convince us. I mean, can't you see that happening? I I really don't want to admit that you're right there, but it's probably <laughs> it's probably true. I mean, I, I you know that's one of the things we're learning from this era, right? I mean, I think you know one of the things you, you can pick up from the Donald Trump era, and this goes I don't know I don't know exactly where it starts and where it ends. I'm I'm always hopeful that it's just Trump being kind of a unique guy, but like the Trump era has sort of proven that the currency uh, uh, of your words no longer has a value. To right. a lot of people. Right. Um, and, you know, the fact that you can say one thing and three weeks later say the exact opposite no longer seems to have any value or penalty to anyone. The same day. And Forget I, about three weeks. Same yeah, day. Yeah. It's the same day. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know how, it's like, I don't know how you can advance these issues or, or have honest conversation in that environment. Part of me thinks that. It is, it is, you know, to go back to your earlier point about, you know, social media in particular, you know, there was, in 2004, John Kerry runs for president. And, you know, it's a close, it's a close race. And at one point, Bush releases that, that uh, ad, you know, which has Kerry saying, I voted for it right. before I voted right. against it. Yeah. And here's something that, like, it almost seems like the moment his campaign was sunk. Right. Like, here's this guy who said, right. you know, he voted for it before he voted against it. It was so pathetic, a typical politician. Right. I mean... And, you know, now there's two, three, five, ten of those in the news cycle every day. Yes. Someone tweets something that they yep. tweeted the exact opposite of, you know, yep. weeks ago or days ago. And it's like we've almost become immune to those moments. I, I'm, Stu, no- Stu, I'm convinced this is off the trail a little bit, but I'm convinced that the, the guys from Millie Vanilli, if they had just waited another 10, 15 years, they'd be stars for what happened with that. <laughs> I mean, the one guy who killed himself, if there's natural life, he has to be looking up going, what did I do? I could be on Dancing with the Stars now and probably make a, make a comeback. I mean, no one cares. No one cares. You are so right. You are so right about that. They're right. They, they would be. They would have bigger careers now than they yes. did then. Yes. Jeez, uh, it, <laughs> that's right, amazing. You're totally but, right. But, Stu, let's go back to the, the Trump thing. Because this is – I really want to make sure I understand this because this is really, to me, important on a lot of levels. So so you guys are against Trump through the primaries. He, he wins the primaries against 
you know, most people's predictions, although even though I was wrong about the general election, I, I thought there was a very good chance he'd win the uh, the primaries way before most people did because of mm. I, I did not trust the conservative media. And once the conservative media sold out, I, I knew, look out, uh, because I'd seen mm-hmm. it before. But anyway, so, so I want to make sure. So you guys at the Blaze, you and Glenn and all the, all the guys there, you, you're, you're looking at this. There was never a discussion of, we're going to have repercussions here if we don't get on the train. Did that discussion ever happen? Um, no. I, I think, well, I think that the way you just said it, that happened, which was, if we don't get on the train, we will have repercussions. I don't think there was ever a discussion in which we actually considered doing it. Right. I think we were aware right. that the repercussions would come. Right. That's what, um, I, that's, what I, that's what I want to nail down. So you guys knew. You all knew, all right, guys, buckle up. This is going to potentially be bad for us, but we have to stand by our principles. Is that what happened? Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I mean, I, absolutely. We, we, knew, we knew that there would be trouble, um, but, you know, I, I, again, like, I, I didn't get into this business, and I know you didn't, and I know Glenn didn't, and I know Pat didn't, uh, to get into this business to, you know, to be, you know, wishy-washy about your principles and try to make an extra few thousand dollars. I mean, that's just not, like, what the hell is the point? There's so many better ways to make money. There's so many better ways to have happiness and not have to work 24 hours a day as you're checking email when you wake up to go to the bathroom at 3 o'clock in the morning and going through (laughs) stories. Like, there's so many better things. I have friends who work normal 9-to-5 jobs, and they come home and they just enjoy their lives. Like this is you get into this for a reason because you really care about it. And if it's just to, you know, get a few more people on Facebook or, or get a few extra dollars, you're just really, you know, go another direction, find something else. And I think we've all been there, you know, pretty much the entire run of this. We were aware that there was going to be some some repercussions on that. But, you know, I mean, you build an audience over a long period of time. You build a relationship with your audience and you hope that they'll come along the journey with you, and, and when they have questions, they'll, they'll ask them, and we'll try to answer them honestly and treat each other with respect. And, and then at the end of the day, you realize that you were totally wrong in most, most of those cases. But some of the cases, every once in a while, you get a little bit inspired by, right. by the way these things go. And I hope, you know, I, I do hope the long run is better than the short run. So, Stu, just to, again, to be clear, so you guys knew if we don't sell out, there are going to be repercussions here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I can remember going back to uh, 2007, 2008. Um, Glenn was uh, very much on the, um, he really believed the economy was going to turn into disaster. And honestly, at that point, I really, I wasn't really on the bandwagon with him on that. Um, And, but, you know, Bush is president, right? There's a Republican president in office. Mm -hmm. He's saying, you know, obviously more positive things about the economy than Democrats are saying. So the accusation from some in the audience is, hey, why are you siding with the Democrats? Why are you some liberal now? What's your deal? Um, and, and that was only a blip compared to what happened with Trump. Um, but, you know, there were, there were stations and, and listeners at the time who were annoyed at him for voicing those sorts of viewpoints. And, you know, there were bumps in the road, and some of them lasted a long time. I think overall you, you kind of see that, well, in the long run, right, I think Glenn uh, wound up doing pretty well there and had, you know, probably the biggest parts of his career after those right. times. Right. So, I mean, you know, you don't know, obviously, but we're, you know, somewhat familiar, and I know you are as well, 
somewhat familiar with running and running against the tide a little bit. Right. Um, you know, so, so it, in other it, words, it, you're, you, you guys looked at it like, Hey, look, all right. So we're in for another potentially rough goal of it, but we've done this before and we were right. So mm-hmm. let's stick with our principles and hopefully things will work out. Is that a fair way to look at it? Yeah, I think that's, a, I think, I, that's, I think what happened. Yeah. All right. Now, again, I don't want to belabor this, but I, I want to make sure we understand it. So, so why is it then that, for the most part, the blaze did not sell out to Trump and everybody else on the conservative side of media did. Explain that. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I will say after the primary, I think there was a uh, – uh, I was not surprised by any of it, right? I mean, I think – you know, a lot of people do look at the world and sort of that, you know, to bring up a phrase I never want to hear again, binary choice oh. sort of framework. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and I think like most, you know, the average person, right, is not going much above and beyond the two people that they know and the battle they're fighting and which side are they on. A very much a team situation. You know, I, I kind of have always believed that talk radio listeners, I mean, if you're sitting around listening to talk radio for 15, 30, 45 hours a week, you know, you might as well go a little deeper, right? I, you know, and I think there's plenty of time and, for nuance and, and, and long sort of winding conversations through these things. You don't have to do it in 140 characters on talk radio, which is one of the reasons I love it. Um, but, but, you know, I think generally speaking, when it comes to voters, I mean, that's, you know, but, they but, don't... But Stu, what makes the blaze different? What made the blaze different, and you guys with the Glenn Beck Show, different than... Every other major conservative media outlet when it came to Donald Trump, and why didn't you guys sell out? And they did. <laughs> um, you know, you're asking me to answer for them, which I can't. Well, no, quite but, do. but what I makes mean, you guys different? I mean, what or what yeah, makes I, them different from you? Well, I think the company, honestly, you know, our company, The Blaze, was uh, was built on the framework that you know Glenn had designed a long time ago, which was principle first. You know, there's no winning without principle isn't winning. And, um, you know, that is kind of the framework the entire company has been built on. And so we've always been uh, free to express opinions that are completely unpopular um, and, 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 you know, that go against the audience. Um, as long as, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a situation where you're being honest how you got there. And if you're wrong, you don't mind correcting it. Um, I think... You know, we have a lot of different voices here, and, and and a lot of people, you know, believe different things. We had, you know, a lot of people who were very against Trump in the primary that wound up being for him in the general. It's a, I've heard it's that. A, it's I've, a, I've heard. I heard that happened. Yeah, I, I did hear yeah, about that. Yeah. I've heard. I've seen some of that in the news, as a matter of fact. <laughs> but I mean, you know, the bottom line is, though, that's okay, right? I mean, like, it's, you know, it's not where I wound up ending up, but uh, you know. Right. A lot of people, you know, a lot of people made the, the, the comment to us. We had so many callers that called up and said, hey, you know, I know Trump is terrible, but the bottom line is we need to get a good Supreme Court justice. And my answer to that was, I don't see what in Donald Trump's history would lead you to believe he's going to name a good Supreme Court justice. But here we are. I mean, honestly, I was pretty happy with Gorsuch. And, you know, so, I mean, we're not, you know, we're trying to make the best calls that we can. We're not right. always right. But, I mean, when you come out, at least you can be honest about where you stand, and you base it on you, – when you put at the top of the food chain principle, um, uh, then these other decisions are easy 
you don't worry about the other ones because at the top of your sort of food pyramid is, uh, hey, this is what I want. I want to be able to be honest. I want to be able to say the things I believe, and I want to be truthful to who I am at that time. And I think that that's, you know, that's what I honestly thought was the most common way people looked at it. Um, you know, you, you look. There is there are prag- times for pragmatism too. Like I'd like the income tax rate to be zero. It's not going to be anytime <laughs> soon. So I mean, I'll take a cut, right. right? Like I understand that we don't get everything to be perfect, uh, right. but you know, at the end of the day, you have to just be honest. You can't make excuses for people you think are doing the wrong right. thing. So, you so, can't say, and just I, I don't I don't want to live that life. So, but Stu, and, and with regard to Gorsuch, and I I'm hopeful on Gorsuch, and I I think it's great that. Gorsuch is there, although I don't think he's going to be a Scalia. But as a sports guy, I think you'll appreciate my analogy. And feel free to mm-hmm. use it, by the way. You don't even have to credit for me if you like this analogy. Here's what the Gor- here, here's, here's, here's the Gorsuch analogy in terms of sports. Gorsuch is the Minnesota Vikings getting Herschel Walker from the Dallas Cowboys in exchange <laughs> for their entire future. Okay? <laughs> that, that's what, and, and how'd that work out? Uh, that's not well. Not, not well. Not, not well. <laughs> so, so the Vikings got an upgrade at running back from Garland to Gorsuch. <laughs> they got Herschel Walker mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and in exchange, they gave away the farm. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and the Dallas Cowboys ended up dominating the NFL for the rest of the decade. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's how I see uh, Gorsuch. Uh, now, I hope it doesn't turn out that way, but um, you know, in the short run, fantastic. Um, but, mm-hmm. but the price we're paying is, is way too high. All right. Last question on this whole issue of, of selling out with regard to Trump. Does it bother you that other right leaning or conservative outlets did sell out to Trump and have benefited from it? And what are the repercussions that you guys have suffered for not selling out? Um, well, uh, you know, I think, uh, it, it does bother me in that more because like some, you know, some of these people I think are, um, uh, you know, uh, people I listened to, um, you know, growing up and, you know, and I just think I didn't really understand where they were coming from, which is, you know, it's kind of a surprising thing just as a listener. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, I think, you know, I, I, I think the re- my belief is, or at least was, that particularly if Trump were to come in and lose, um, that there would be a situation where I think some conservatives would have looked back at that and said, wait a minute, we kind of were brought along this, uh, this road here, believing this guy was going to be the savior. And then here we are, he's not, in fact, he's not even president. He lost. Now we have Hillary. Sure. And, and this surely would be true that they would be blaming us, uh, people who didn't like Trump for that. But I mean, I think there's enough rational people in the world that you'd look at that and say, wait a minute, maybe this wasn't the, the right way to go. You know, with him winning, it becomes a lot more difficult. And I think, um, you know, for just conservatism generally, um, I think we may get uh, m- several, maybe many policies that would be better than Hillary Clinton's four-year policies. But I'm worried about the, the, long, the long term here. Right. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, this is something I think we may have talked about a while ago, but there's a, uh, you know, there's sort of a, someone was asking me uh, for some story uh, back in the campaign, like, what, what's the future of conservative media after this? And, like, my, my answer was sort of like, well, we first have to figure out whether it deserves to exist anymore. <laughs> like, I, what, is the, what, is the, what is the point of having it if 
all we're trying to do is cheer for a particular team, no matter what that team is doing. Um, you know, I, uh, conservatism, conservative media is supposed to promote conservatism, um, and not because we like conservatism because it's a, a name that rolls off the tongue easier than liberalism or progressivism. It's because those solutions are actually good for the country, and it's our constitutional foundation. It's the thing we are trying to, you know, sort of solve um, many of the issues the world faces, and we've seen many of those issues solved by conservatism and capitalism. I mean, uh, you know, the example that comes to mind right now, because it's so important with Trump, is free trade. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's an issue in which, you know, we're, we're, we've taken a billion people across the globe out of poverty, because of, uh, largely because of free trade and capitalism spreading. These aren't things, this isn't a stupid election issue. Mm-hmm. This is real people living and dying across the world because of these issues. Mm-hmm. And now we have no opposition party arguing for those principles. We have one side that's against free trade and the other side that's against free trade. And those things, you know, again, like if you can't come to the conclusion and see the writing on the walls on, on, on issues like that, you know, you wonder what is even the point. Um, so and, I think, like, I, to me, it's like you keep fighting for those issues, and, you know, whether you get rewarded or punished, you keep fighting for it. I mean, right. you know, I've certainly seen that with you, you know. You go through and you have these issues where, you know, where maybe your career gets punished for a short period of time or you get beat up in the media or whatever. You keep going, um, and you keep going, and if you keep bashing your head against the wall, eventually either the wall breaks or you knock yourself out. Or uh, both. You just hope it's not or that both. Side. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, but but have you guys experienced specific uh, punishment uh, to use your term for for your Trump stance? And if so, what has that been? I mean, I think there's been you know there's been some. Um, I mean, I think the answer to that is yes. I think we're still in a healthy. We still have, we have a very you know uh, we went we went through um, a lot of growth uh, from the period where most people had never heard of Glenn Beck to the period where everybody has heard of him. That's a long ride. It's not a not an overnight sensation, right? I think to a lot of people outside of, you know, talk radio circles, it sort of was. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot there. We have a long-term relationship with a lot of, a lot of these stations. Um, and so many of them were willing to kind of say, well, you know, so we were getting complaints from some people who like Trump, but, you know, Glenn's been here doing a show that's rated well for a long period of time. We're going to stick with it. Um, I think, you know, I, my honest belief on this is that we – from year to year through the ratings, we saw a slight growth. Um, however, as you know, in talk radio, when you have an election year, right. especially one with all the craziness, we should have seen, right. I think if we were on the Trump train, as it were, right. we would have seen more growth. Exactly. Um, you know, and I think a lot of other shows did get more growth than us. Um, you know, but again, it, it's not a, a one-season thing. You know? I mean, we're, right. this is a, these shows last for a long time. And, Wait, you know, you hold, to, hold on a second. Are you telling me that there's going to be further elections in the future, and that this isn't the, this isn't the end right now? You mean you mean 2016 didn't just just didn't end everything? Wow, I had no well, idea. Now, well, I really see how out of place my previous optimism was on the show. Now I, I, now I get it. All right, last couple of questions for you, Stu. Um, I, I got to ask you, though I know that you're you're very restricted legally. Um, but obviously the big news story involving the blaze has been the Tommy Lahren uh, controversy and uh, mm. suit and countersuit. And she's uh, no longer on the air there. Uh, what, what, um, what can you tell us about the 
how this has impacted the Blaze in general being part of the news, as you guys have been, with regard to this uh, whole issue? Well, I mean, you know, um, as you as you point out, we are under, I mean, it's an ongoing legal issue, as you know, and I know you have to ask, but it's like we are, we have a court order to not talk about it, anyone at the Blaze to be talking about it, so I'm to, to say I'm restricted is probably understating it. Okay. Um, you know, the company's been very clear that they don't really want us talking about it. So, um, you know, it's I could say generally, obviously, like, you know, you don't want we're, – we're in this business, and I know this goes for every party and, and all of these things. You're not in this business to talk about yourselves. You're not in this business to talk about, you know, work things and stuff like that. So I know we'd all – everyone would just like to get back to talking about the things that we think are important no matter what they are. Fair enough. Now, Similarly, and I, I know you're not legally restricted on this, but obviously Bill O'Reilly just left Fox News Channel. And I know that you yeah. guys have talked a lot about this and that Glenn has expressed some really interesting and provocative opinions about what he thinks really is going on here. Uh, he basically, do you think it's fair to, to suggest, by the way, that he has predicted that Sean Hannity will be next? Uh, but, but in general, give people a sense of what you guys have been talking about with regard to what's really going on in Fox News Channel and what the significance of O'Reilly leaving really is. Yeah, it's, it, it, you know, um, Glenn obviously has a long-time close relationship with Bill. Um, you know, I, I've met him a few times, I, you know, but I don't have a close relationship with him. Um, you know, I think he felt it was important to kind of tell his sort of behind-the-scenes view of, of, the, of, of who Bill O'Reilly was. Um, you know, and, you know, we did, we did a lot. We worked with him on a lot of tours. Uh, he was very helpful to Glenn behind the scenes at Fox, um, you know, at a time where not everybody was. Um, so, you know, I think that they have a, I think, you know, and I've seen this, like you see a lot of stories about uh, O'Reilly leaving, and there's very little conversation as to whether he did the things he's accused of. And, right. and I think it is important to, to, you know, like, you know, we're still in a country and we're innocent, innocent until proven guilty. And I understand this is the court of public opinion, and I get all that. No, wait a minute. No, but no, I mean, no. It's no longer innocent until proven guilty. It's innocence until the Twitter mob has declared you guilty. That's, that's, that's where we now live in, Stu. Let's get this straight. Let's get this straight. <laughs> it's so true. And, like, what a, what a frightening world that is. I mean, yeah. you know, you shouldn't I, – like, I, again, like, I, I don't know what happened in any of these cases, but it's like – that is such a weird thing. You know, it's such a strange um, idea that you would take people who are on social media so seriously that you'd change maybe your entire business model or fire people you've had a relationship with for decades over a bunch of people tweeting about it or showing up in front of uh, of your building. And again, like, I don't know, you know, look, these are serious accusations and should always be taken seriously. Um, but, you know, I see it more on, I'm talking about like things like, you know, a comedian makes an off color joke about some, some issue that's not uh, politically correct or, um, you know, some show that has made its living on, on, on challenging, you know, the, the things you can never say. I mean, Louis C.K. is a good example of this. Right. You know, Louis C.K. is a guy who, you know, a brilliant comedian and has done all these things and he comes on Saturday Night Live and he makes the most off color, you know, the most uncomfortable jokes of all time. And, you know, all the, like people all of a sudden act as if he means uh, terrible things about people, and they they you know they want to push they want to get him fired and they want to get him pushed uh, over the edge, and it's like. But 
I just don't understand that approach. What a boring world it is but, but has, where every time someone says something offensive, you tweet about it enough to get them fired, so then eventually you have nobody challenging any opinions. And I think that right. echoes what you, you just talked about with talk radio. You know, people are afraid to kind of come out and challenge the audience and say things that they disagree with because they don't want that pushback. They don't want that crazy. But with regard to Bill O'Reilly specifically in Fox has and where Fox is going, has Glenn convinced you that – that this really is a very significant cultural sea change and that people like Sean Hannity uh, may be next in the crosshairs? Are, 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 do, you, do you agree with that assessment? Well, I mean, I think it's, it's uh, silly to think that they're not going to come after somebody else, right? Like, you know, would they, you know, they had, uh, and again, like, you know, I don't know. You know, I heard, we heard all sorts of things about Roger Ailes when he was there. Um, you know, but you know, you never know. I wasn't in the, I, I, I wasn't in those circles enough. Um, but like, you know, you have Roger Ailes, and I think you know Fox thinks to themselves, well, if we get rid of Roger, we have it, and then, well, then they're coming after the next person. And I, I think the, the the idea from Glenn is not certainly that Hannity or anybody else there specifically did anything wrong or or anything like that. It's just that like they're not they're, you can't feed this beast; it doesn't get full. You know, when you when you kind of give the power. Uh, once they see blood, it's over. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, yeah. When, when you get them the power to hire and fire your staff, you've given them so much power that uh, they're going to keep using it mm. until it stops working. Um, and uh, you know, so I think you're seeing it's that cor- a corporate situation at Fox playing out between you know Rupert and and the and the Sons, where uh, you know they that might just be their vehicle to kind of change the way the the, the network has been. But, well, I'm not you know. I'm not a fan of a lot of the, you know, there's, I think there's some really great people at Fox and some that I'm not so crazy about, but you know, they really are the only major voice uh, uh, articulating anything that can even be construed as conservative. Um, So it is, it is scary. I mean, obviously we're there as well, but we're a minor voice and there's other networks that that try this stuff. There has to be somebody though arguing for it because, you know, we're, we're losing it with have, you know, having big voices out there. I mean, if we have nothing, uh, it's going to be even harder to hold on to. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know where that goes, but I can tell you that, you know, from, it goes from comedians to, you know, the stuff that ESPN has done to its hosts at times. You know, this idea that people should be able to tweet you out of employment is ridiculous. And at some point, me, major media companies, left, right, sports, co- comedy, everything has to freaking realize that that is not the way to make decisions. Look at the situations. Actually think about them. Don't think about how many tweets you got. Think about what the situation actually is. And again, on principle, if the person did something terrible, then yeah, fire them. But only if you really believe they did it. So many of these companies seem to react in a way that it's like they're just reacting to the fervor, and they think, well, we can alleviate it and get rid of this. There's, that's, that's, by just firing someone, that, that is a never-ending circle. It's going to go on forever and ever, and you will not control your own business and your own voice if you let that happen. Well, uh, so when does Bill O'Reilly uh, take over the uh, Tommy Lahren slot at the the Blaze? When does when does that happen? <laughs> oh, you'll be you'll be the first to know. I will I will call you immediately. What what do you, uh, what what, what, you what, what what percentage of pay cut do you think uh, O'Reilly would have to take in order for that to happen? Uh, uh, well, knowing my salary, approximately one hundred, maybe ninety nine percent. I don't know if Bill's into that. Uh, my guess is uh, probably not, but. Uh, you know, hey, uh, it's uh, you know a lot of people are suggesting it. I, I don't know what's going to happen with that. I mean, I know Bill's got his own website, and uh, he could probably make an ungodly amount of money just having people subscribe to it. So 
I know Bill's probably not hurting for too much cash. What do you think? <laughs> I, I don't think cash is what's motivating him, uh, but no. uh, it will be interesting to see what he does next because I do think his options are pretty limited. So I, I, I I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or form predicting he's going to end up at the Blaze. But I, stranger things have happened. I mean, you know, especially with the relationship with uh, with Glenn and and Bill, uh, it would be it would be interesting to say the least. But uh, mm-hmm. but Stu, thanks so much as always for your time. It's been great to to get to know you guys. You guys have um, it's been fantastic to know that there's somebody out there that still believes in principle and is willing to stand <laughs> up for it even when it's not in their self interest. So that's been from a, from a from a uh, mental health standpoint that has been incredibly valuable. So thank you and, and everybody there at the blaze for that. So I, I very much appreciate it. Yeah. And absolutely. And to your audience, I mean, uh, you know, you should know that John is, uh, you know, not only did you come out on your own dime yes. uh, for an entire time to talk about one story you really care about. That's not even at the top of the news cycle. Right. Uh, you know, but I mean, your own dime show after show, after show, after show, we ran you through basically the marathon of shows. I think you were on the air for about 24 hours straight when you were in town. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, I, again, like, that's the type of thing that, I don't know, that's what I look for. If I, if, if I have, uh, you know, someone that I listen to, if I'm going to take my freaking time and give it to a host, man, they better actually care about what they're saying. Man, they better freaking believe it. And uh, you've certainly proven that over and over again. So, uh, you know, we, we appreciate you, John, and thanks for all you're doing. Wow, that's really great. Thanks for making my day, Stu. Let's keep in touch. Thanks, man. You too. Take care. Talk that's uh, Stu Greer. He is the, uh, the uh, co-host, head writer, producer, uh, and also a host of his own on the Blaze Network and with the Glenn Beck uh, radio show and television show on the Blaze TV network. So thanks so much for Stu, and thanks so much for you to listen. Uh, make sure that you do uh, two things. They're all I ever ask of you. It's very simple. If you like this podcast, make sure you uh, share it on social media or share it via word of mouth or do both. That would be fantastic uh, because that's the only way anyone's ever going to hear about this. And as Stu just said, hopefully the podcast has at least some value, especially in this very crazy time in which we live. The second thing I ask of you is actually to do yourself a favor. And if you're one of these people who sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, make sure you listen to this important message until next week. My name is John Ziegler and this is the world. According to Zig podcast. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee. Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Ugh, like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.